Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity. Today we're going to be talking with Lois Wagner and this is an amazing story, a story of a whole lot of violence that ended up in a whole lot of forgiveness. And you might wonder how possibly could that happen? She's going to talk to us about that and her BRAVE program, B-R-A-V-E. Learn all about that really soon. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity. If you've just found me, I'm so happy that you're here. And if you're a returning listener, I'm so glad you found value that brought you back. Please feel free to share this with your friends and invite people that you know are in toxic relationships and that they might get some insights all in the comfort and privacy of their own computer or phone as they go for a walk. Sometimes when we're in these difficult situations, it's hard to find places to listen but you can always do it when you go for a good walk. So download the podcast wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you find value here, go to patreon.com slash save your sanity and support us with a small donation each month. And thank you for doing that. So today, Lois, we've got so many things to talk about, so many ways to go. So let's begin by letting me tell everybody a little bit about you, because you are a survivor of a violent attack and rape, and you moved through that from victim to survivor to thriver, and made some really brilliant dis, um, discoveries in the t- in the terms. And so you use your expertise now to fight toxic masculinity and help eradicate gender-based violence. So you can see why you wanted to listen to today's program. Toxic max- masculinity and eradicating gender-based violence. So welcome to the program, Lois. Thanks very much, Roberta. You run a really great program, and it's so worthwhile for people to listen. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your story so people can understand what I'm alluding to when I said all those words. Well, I think you've summed up the whole story. Um, I was working late one night and I had a printing business and I was working in the courtyard behind an eight-foot wall with razor wire. So I felt pretty confident and pretty safe. And uh, the first I was aware that there was somebody there is that this man had a screwdriver to my neck and his hand around my throat. And, well, I fought. (laughs) I fought hard and furious but unfortunately not hard and furious enough. And he overwhelmed me, overcame me, and raped me. And uh, I was pretty badly injured. And he left me tied up and basically left me for dead. 
So that was a start. Oh, yes. I just want to say that you weren't effective in your fighting, but you certainly did a good job of fighting. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't enough to stop him, but it, you gave it all you had. I'm sure that you did. And what an incredibly wounding incident that could go on for a long time. Was he charged? Was he found? He was, and he was given a 25-year sentence. And this is going back a lot of years when at the time the maximum sentence for rapists was 10 years in this country. I'm in South Africa. So 25 years was an unheard of sentence. Well, it was fairly clear that he had a great deal of malicious intent, not just sexual intent, but a great deal of malicious intent. So I'm glad that, that justice was served in that situation. How long did it take you to recover? 14 years. Wow. And during that 14 years, what was the journey of recovery? Well, it's so interesting because I've subsequently designed a model to reflect how I believe the average journey goes. But everybody's journey is different. There's no one size fits all. But I think everybody goes through similar kind of um, experiences. So the first one is when, when you're a victim, after you've had the trauma, you're a victim and it's woe is me and you're full of hatred and loathing and depression and all the negative emotions that go with being a victim. And it's important that you experience those emotions um, because if you don't, they'll come back and they'll attack you later. You'll get triggered later and they come forward. So it's important that you, 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 you deal with them as and when they occur. That's in the victim mode. I didn't stay in the victim mode very long because I was so angry. This was, <laughs> this was before the Me Too movement. It wasn't, the word rape was never mentioned in polite circles. Uh, So it was something that this didn't happen to nice people. This didn't happen to me. So I really wanted to change the world. And in South Africa, we we were just going through our change to democracy and they had put out calls for changes to the constitution. And so that's what I did. I was going to change the constitution. So I immediately went into survivor mode. And survivor, the word a lot of people say, oh, I survived something traumatic. But survivor really is a struggle. Survivor is not the end. Survivor is part of the journey. And I immediately went into struggle mode where I wanted to change the world. And I became an activist and I led marches and I did whatever I could. I wrote letters to ministers and whoever I wanted to change the world. The rapist was out on on bail for for a previous rape and I just had to change the law. So I spent about two years as an activist making the changes, trying to make the changes. So that, that was that step. And then after that, you move into the the thriving mode, and that's when you start focusing on a future direction. And I didn't quite get there straight away because I, after wanting to change the world, I, I lost the passion and I lost the energy, I suppose, and I went back into the corporate world because I lost my business almost as a result of of the attack. I was in partnership, and then my business partner betrayed me. 
and we lost the business and put me into deep financial debt. So I went back into the corporate world and got a job and just focused on surviving. So I stayed in Survivor for quite a long, for a long time. And it was only when I decided to move out of, I was in marketing, move out of that corporate side of the world and move into education. And I decided to go into training and, and coaching. And so I changed my whole emphasis. And that's when my thriving journey started, when I started focusing on a new reality, on a new future. Uh, and, and, and you develop a growth mindset, you know, from post-traumatic growth. What have I learned from this experience? Where has this taken me? Um, how am I a better person? How have I grown? And uh, so that took me quite a lot of years to get to there. Mm-hmm. But, but then the final step, I'd left South Africa and I was living in the Middle East and I'd been gone a year. This was 14 years after I was raped and I was going home for my first holiday. And in all those 14 years, I had never once given any thought to whether he was ever going to get out, what was going to happen to him in prison. And I just decided to contact the authorities and find out if this guy was still in jail, what what had happened. And it was quite serendipitous. Uh, They wrote back and said he was having a parole hearing the day after I arrived in the country. And the law had just changed, allowing what they call victims of crime to attend parole hearings. It was just too much of a coincidence. So Mm -hmm. I decided to attend the parole hearing with no clear direction or intention of what I was going to do. But I went. All right, let's just stop right there for a second because I can hear something grand coming. (laughs) But I, I just want to emphasize a few things on this journey because so many people give other people who have had a traumatic experience, they kind of give them some leeway, they give them some space. And after that, they're often saying things like, well, come on, get over it, buck up, move on. And it's such a shame, it's such a travesty, because people have to heal at their own rate, and they can only go through what they're going through. So you know, can you speak to that of what might have happened in those 14 years if people had you know, just told you to deny it and get on because, you know, maybe you feel you did that when you went into the corporate world to a degree because you had to. But, you know, there is there is a whole lot of people who are told that, you know, come on, that's enough time to have a problem. <laughs> Buck up. Yeah, it's so important that people realize that everybody's journey is unique. Um, and the journey is not linear. You don't go from A to B. You don't go from victim to freedom. You you go up and down and you get triggered yeah. for the most ridiculous things. Even today, it's now 26 years later, but even today, if somebody comes up behind me yeah. and I don't hear them, I still get a fright, okay? Mm-hmm. They can come at me with an X in the front of me and I'm okay, but if they come up behind me. So those triggers will always be there. And you can't just get over it. And and also, you know, by going through those phases, you will fall back. You will go up and down and backwards and forwards. But by knowing that there is something, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you can focus and you can handle those 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 moments when you take that backward step. And 
And as I said, the, the, the very first phase, when you're in that victim mode, it's important that you feel those emotions. It's important that you cry, that you hate, that you shout, that whatever that emotion is, I, I like to say to people, get, get to use all the senses. What does it feel like? What would you want to do to that person or in that situation? How does it smell? You know, and really get to know those emotions because they're there for a reason, especially the denial, because denial, you're not ready to face the reality of it. So denial keeps you grounded and it keeps you where you need to be for a while. And the depression, as long as it's not deep clinical depression, which I'm not equipped to, to deal with, um, but depression, sadness, it's important that you have that, that you experience it. And in your own time, just don't stay there too long. Um, I, I like to say let's work with those emotions and then let's replace those emotions with more positive emotions. So I love using visioning board techniques. You know, So if you're feeling hatred now, what's a lesser emotion that we can change that to? How about dislike? <laughs> and then, And then from dislike, how about love? So we actually, we work with moving that emotion from the intense negative emotion to a more positive emotion and each person in their own time. Well, I think that timing is a huge thing, which is why I brought the question because everybody is unique. Everybody's had a different background. Everybody has a different backstory. And so you don't know their story. You don't know what impact an event has or a traumatic illness or an accident or a breakup of a toxic relationship or a breakup of any relationship or grief over someone dying. There is no time frame. And if someone tries to put you on a time frame, notice if they're just encouraging you to continue on the journey toward healing but if they're actually short with you or if they're they're sort of demanding and have no patience anymore for any pain you might have probably not a great person to be around in those situations you want to find people who actually know <clears throat> that you're working on it and that you can have that conversation so great. That's a little more of the background of the story. So here you are. You arrive in South Africa. You find out that you could go to this fellow's parole hearing, and you go. What happens? And I go. And it was just it, there were just so many parts to the story. One was I asked a few people to come with me, and for one reason or another, none, nobody could come with me, and I was a bit upset at first. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I started this journey on my own. I must finish it on my own. And so I went and it was, I was the first person in South Africa to take advantage of this new law. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea how to handle me or how to deal with the situation. So I, I had to go into the prison itself. I felt like I was going to prison, the iron gates opening and clanging shut behind me and all the prisoners shouting and catwalling. And it was quite eerie. <laughs> and then, um, and then I went into the room and they, they spent time explaining the procedure to me. And then they called him in and then they went through the procedure and I just sat there and he just sat there. And then they said, did I have anything to, to, to say to him? And I just said, I had one question. In, he, he had a grade six education um, when he attacked me. 
Um, so I said to him, all these 14 years in prison, why have you not studied or learned anything? And he said, well, he never thought he would ever get out, so what was the point? And then they they carried on a little bit with the procedure, and then the, the sort of formalities were finished, and they said, did I have anything to say again? And I said, yes. And I looked at him, and I, <laughs> I said to him, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it was a little bit of a speech. It wasn't just, I forgive you. I prepared a, I, I didn't think I was going to forgive him, but I had prepared a little speech on the advice of somebody. And as I was reading the speech, I realized he probably didn't understand it because of his lower education, but I read it anyway. <laughs> and at the end, I looked him in the eyes and I said, I compassionately and completely forgive you. And as I said it, I thought, wow, I do. <laughs> mm. it, it was only at that moment that I realized that I actually did forgive him. And the, the magic happened when the authorities said to me, they would tell me in seven days if he got parole or not. And I looked at them and I said, no, I don't want to know. It was so liberating. The fact that I'd forgiven him, I completely broke that tie. With, with this person, that whether he's in jail or not, it's of no consequence to me whatsoever. I am completely free of him. And I didn't walk out of that prison. I flew out of that prison. <laughs> well, I bet you did because, you know, people ask me often about forgiveness. And, and I tell them, you know, forgiveness is something that you do to free yourself that it's something that you decide to not let someone else take up any space in your heart or your mind. And you just forgive them and set them free. So I'm hearing something in that with you. What's your response to that? Absolutely. You setting, you know, he he did say during during the, the all the talk, he did say all he wants is forgiveness. So he actually did ask for forgiveness and Yes, I probably did set him free. And, you know, so I'm glad for that because, you know, what is the point of everybody going through life just filled with hatred and fear and nastiness? Because if he does get out and he's still got that feeling, he's going to do it again. But if he's been set free, maybe he won't do it again. Well, he'll have to set himself free in my model of forgiveness because he'll have to forgive himself for what he did. But it certainly set you free, as you said, and that's a great gift to give yourself. So you went on to write a book called Walking Without Skin. What does walking without skin mean? Okay, I'll just show you my my cover. I don't know if you can see mm-hmm. the, the half-naked woman. <laughs> <laughs> So from the back. Yeah. <laughs> so walking without skin, it's about vulnerability. You know, the skin is what holds us together. It's, it's how we appear to the world. It's how people see us. And if we don't have skin, it keeps us together. We fall apart without skin. And so it's very metaphorical in, in terms of I'm walking vulnerably, exposed to the world. I mean, my, my book is, is part memoir, part self-help guide but it exposes every emotion, all the pain and all the growth that came that came from the experience. So it was me exposing myself to the world. 
Okay, well, that makes sense. So I know that your work now focuses on toxic masculinity. So let's talk about that for a moment. How do you define toxic masculinity? Okay, Um, just before I get to that, the reason I do this is because I've been working with women, helping them go through the, the journey to freedom. And then I thought, why must I do that? We shouldn't have to do that. Women shouldn't have to have that problem. So I thought, let's change the focus and let's stop it happening in the first place. (laughs) So that's why I moved over to to the side of the business. So toxic masculinity, in my opinion, it's just, it's, it's about negative behaviors towards others. It's about using the male strength in the wrong way. Uh, a, a mask, uh, you know, people think that strength is power and and it's not that. And, you know, it, it's the way, it's not it's not being a gentleman, put it that way. <laughs> it's the opposite of being a gentleman. <laughs> well, I found this definition interesting and the definition was toxic masculinity is when the archetypal image of what it means to be masculine becomes harmful and aspirational. It thrives by penalizing behavior which does not conform to the standard and celebrating behavior which does. And I thought that was, that was very interesting. And toxic masculinity, how do you think this comes about? What do you think it is that produces this? You know, a lot of the time it's culture. It's, you know, what the behaviors and habits that are learned from parents and from peers. And unfortunately, we've got too many leaders in the world who do suffer from toxic masculinity. And, uh, you know, people emulate those that they like or those that they trust um, and parents, you know. So somewhere along the line, we've got to break the cycle. We've got to, we've got to show people a better way. Uh, and we need those role models. We need positive, good role models out there uh, who are going to help change that that understanding. Uh, you know, some cultures, you know, some some countries have a higher rape incident or higher violent rape incident than other countries, and it must be a cultural thing that is mm-hmm. an accepted norm or it hasn't been punished sufficiently or. So, yeah, where, where does it come from? Are we born with it? I think not. <laughs> so, no, we don't have a concept of masculine or feminine when we're born. And we just are who we are. And so to become uh, toxic means we needed some help with that. <laughs> you know, someone told us this is the right way to go. And, you know, it really triggered me to remember the red pill movement. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Well, the red pill movement is is a definitely a, a situation of toxic masculinity, I think, because um the the reason they call it the red pill uh, movement is because of the movie The Matrix and the red pill was about truth and the the blue pill was about blissful ignorance. So they they call it that, but It's a male-dominated community that believes that women have too many rights and men are being cheated out of their rights and women want to be dominated and it's a place for men to share their ways of seducing women. And it exists. And I thought, 
here is an example of toxic masculinity being preserved and encouraged and taught, you know, taught, even if you weren't learning this in your family, there are men who will teach you to be like that. And this is something that, you know, I've come across in my practice because I've had a couple of clients whose partners actually, um, subscribe to the notions of the red pill movement. And it's it's important for us to know that these things exist. You know, we, we can't keep our head buried in the sand to think that there aren't people who also teach people how to behave badly, even though we all do our work in order to create situations where people behave in supportive, collaborative, wonderful, loving, valuable ways. So when I was thinking about speaking with you, I thought, oh, well, we've got to talk about the red pill um, because that that's right out there. So the work that you're doing can counteract the possibility for somebody being susceptible to it. Um, what's your response to the idea of the red pill? Well, I think we need to create a purple pill. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be the forgiveness pill? I think so. Or it'll be the brave pull. Ah, okay. Well, I know that you've gone on to create your brave program, and I'd love you to tell us all about that. You know, it's very, it's very simple, and it's also very obvious. And I'm just, and I see a lot of people are working with these concepts. Uh, I've just put, I've just packaged it in in the brave concept. But the it's it's very basic, really, and it starts. The B stands for boundaries. Do we have boundaries? Do we know what our boundaries are, and do we know what the boundaries of those around us are? It's you know, sometimes we're not even aware that people have boundaries because we're not communicating openly and effectively with others. So it's understanding boundaries uh, in terms of of distance, keeping your distance, you know, even you can talk about COVID now, keeping your distance with COVID. My boundaries, I want you to be two meters away and you thinking, oh, what the heck, I've got a mask on, you know, I can come close. What are those boundaries? You know, it's, it's very simple. When, when you're in a relationship, where do you want to be touched? How do you want to be touched? How often do you want to be touched? We don't share that openly enough. We just react when we don't like it. Well, sometimes, too, people don't feel that they deserve to have a boundary. And that's a huge piece of learning for folks, isn't it? That you can actually set a boundary and you have the right to say what's okay with you. You're not telling someone else they're wrong. You're saying what it is that, that is right for you. And you have that opportunity. And I would say it is your right to say what's all right with you. What's okay, you know, this is this is okay, this is not okay. And here's where the edge is. That's the boundary. But we know we don't communicate it. We haven't been taught how to communicate that. And so it does we just don't communicate it. And so it's so important that we first of all discover our own boundaries and then share it. Share, yes. share, share. Communication fixes almost everything. <laughs> Except if you're dealing with hijackals, people that I talk about, communication doesn't fix that. All right, so let's go on with the brave f- formula. So we have boundaries. What's the R? 
It's respect. And that is respecting the boundaries. It's respecting the values. And, you know, respect is also a very hard concept today because you've got, you've got woman, you know, man opens a door for a woman and she says, I can open my own door. What do you think I am? <laughs> and the next woman comes along and he doesn't open the door and she says, why don't you open my door? Aren't you a gentleman? <laughs> so people don't know what respect is. They don't know how to respect because they don't know what those boundaries are or what those values are. And so it's a very quagmire of uncertainty. And again, communication, we can talk about it. How do you want to show and how do you want to be respected? Yes, and so important too. And again, the downside of it is some people don't don't even have feel they have the right to demand respect. And so that's a journey, maybe to just realize that you, yeah, you have the right to to be respected and to state your boundaries and have your boundaries respected. So, how about the A? A is the big one, agreement. (laughs) It's about asking. And, you know, people say, well, how are you in the middle of a passionate embrace? Are you going to say, are you okay? Shall we carry on (laughs) and break that mood? So ask is, is very difficult. Consent is very difficult. And it's not a no. It's an emphatic yes. We've got to get the yes. So if we can't say it in words, We've got to watch the body language. We've got to learn to read body language. We've got to learn to see actions and reactions, a frown, a slight pullback, and and get to say, are you okay with us? Do you want to carry on? Ask. Get that consent. Get that enthusiastic agreement. I love that enthusiastic agreement because lukewarm agreement is not agreement at all, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Threaten these threats and these fears, and so people don't say no because they they're scared of repercussions. Yeah, so, yeah. or of the person not liking them. Yeah. Another one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's do the V. The V. I've got two V's that I talk about. The first one is values that we do understand. You know, there's, there's the values that we indoctrinated with from children, from our schools, from our religious institutes from our parents, we've got values, the the obvious ones don't kill, you know, those are the sort of obvious values. But there's so many more values that we need to understand. And most people never get to examine what their values are. So what is important to you? And then your partner and the people around you, what are their values? And then make sure that you align yourself with people with similar values. Because if you have the same values, you will respect them. So you want to find people with the same values and then to vulnerably share them, to Mm. be vulnerable, share, be open, be honest, say what you're feeling, say what you think, share. Mm -hmm. And learning how to share in a respectful manner. Like There's a quote that I love, Lois. I, I learned about 30 years ago, and it's from a book that a priest wrote called The Secret of Staying in Love. So go figure. I mean, how did he know? Um, but he said this. He said, the genius of good communication is to be totally kind and totally honest at the same time. 
And I think it's very important for us to pick up on your your word that you've been using, communication, and to know that you have the right to communicate in ways that are totally kind and totally honest at the same time. You don't have to think about it as being harsh or restrictive or whatever. You can do it kindly. And that's a skill that's really worth the practice because it'll make it easier to be vulnerable. So what's the E now? And I've got three E's. Ah, okay. The first one is, is equality, which I think is just obvious. Treat everybody equally, um, regardless of who they are and where they come from. And the second one is empathy. Get to understand how the other person is feeling. Uh, just put yourself in their shoes. Why are they reacting the way they're reacting? Why do they have those values? Why do they? Why are they saying no? Understand their feelings, and it's it's it takes a little bit of practice. But if you again, if you communicate kindly and honestly, you will get that empathy. And uh, the the last E is the big one, and that is empowering. Empowering mm. people make the right decisions, to stop the toxic behaviors, to empower them to to intervene. So important, you know, if you see somebody doing something, to intervene in it. There was a case, there was a case in South Africa some years ago where in the morning in on one of the sidewalks there was red paint and and with words written and red roses scattered. And the words said I saw you were attacked last night. I didn't do anything. I'm sorry. So somebody actually witnessed something terrible happening, didn't intervene, and they worked to walked away with all that guilt for not having done something. So an observer also suffers from trauma if they're not doing anything about it. So we've got to teach people to intervene, to make the right decision. You know, you can't always intervene if it's a if it's a very violent situation, but you can go and call somebody, you can phone the police, you can do something, not just walk away and say, well, it's not my problem. I witnessed a conversation between a a man in his 30s and, a, and a, a teenager the other day, and they were talking just about this, and they were saying they would not intervene. And I'm, I had such an argument with them <laughs> because, <laughs> because they just said it's not my problem, you know, and that's the attitude we've got to change. Well, I think the term intervene may be confusing because doing something is not necessarily intervening in the the dispute between the two people, we can intervene by calling someone who can handle that dispute or that whatever's going on, the the potential for violence is erupting. And, you know, we do have this great thing now, much as people overuse it for some kind of strange reasons, but we do have phones and we can take a photograph and we can take a movie and you can move way back and take a movie way up close. I mean, there are things that we can do. So I think, you know, for us to intervene, let's notice that it doesn't mean getting between the two people in the the violent situation. It means take some positive action to help, right? Absolutely. And also, uh, you know, when dealing with teenagers and that, it's it's teaching them that the intervention is just stopping their friends from do, from saying things. You know, I had one, I was one group of teenagers and the, the, the youngster said, 
he was so he was so enthralled with this whole thing. He said he's going to go tomorrow and he's going to stop his friends from sexting, you know, sending bad texts. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. The trouble is he goes to school the next day. He goes to his buddies and he said, stop doing that. And then his buddies say, oh, stop being a sissy. And so he he doesn't have the strength to fight with his friends. They're his friends. And so he just ignores it and it, it doesn't change any habits. So what I like to do, so he was a leader. He had a vision. He could see the end result and, and the benefits of that. We need to always bring a follower along with the leader mm. because it's the follower that brings more followers. So we really need to work on bringing two people together so that there's a support system, um, so that they are that they empower each other and support each other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good thing for us to all think about because if you want to intervene in a situation, you know, and here we are not talking violence, we're saying, I don't, I don't care to do what you're doing and here's why. You can speak up for yourself rather than making the other person wrong. And I think that's very important. You know, in my work, I've written a lot of books. And in one of them, I talk about the most important communication technique that I can offer. And I call it the personal weather report. And the personal weather report is what's going on within me. And my definition of assertiveness, Lois, is that to know you have the right to take up space and draw breath on this earth. And as a result of that right, you have the right to say what you think, what you feel, what you need, what you want, what you remember, and what you prefer, as long as you do not mention another human by name or pronoun. So if you could learn, if that young man could learn to say, you know, I thought a lot about the sexting thing. I think it it's, it doesn't show any respect for myself and it doesn't show any respect for the other person. I've decided not to do it anymore. That's a powerful stance rather than, you know, you shouldn't do that because then the other person is feeling blame and shame and they're going to respond to that. But if I just take a stand about what's okay for me, again, to your boundaries issue too, but here's what I've decided. Here's my thought process. I'm going to share it with you. And that's here's the result that I decided on. I'm not going to sext because I don't think it shows respect. And I think it's degrading to women. And I think it's degrading to me. So I'm not going to do it anymore because I don't have to. Now you're not a sissy. Now you're not weak. It's just, hey, I made a decision. And when we start to communicate in ways that are are not about blame or shame or trying to manipulate or change someone else, and we speak clearly and plainly about what's up for me, you know, some people are not going to be able to take it in, but at least you know that you didn't do anything. You just simply took up space and drew breath and said, I'm allowed to do this. And I didn't say anything about another human, so it's fine. And I think we can move in those directions. I love this Brave program. Good for you. Do you offer it in schools or youth groups or what do you do? At schools and youth groups. But thank you for that. I love what you've just said. And it's given me a lot of food for thought. I really must work more on that side of it. Thank you. 
Well, you're welcome. And it's, I've written about it extensively in my book, Kaizen for Couples, and it's downloadable. So you might want to have a look at that because I think it's really useful for kids. I spent a long time as a teacher and, and an administrator in schools. So I know a lot about kids. <laughs> and, and so I think it's very powerful for kids because they don't have to make their friends wrong. They just have to affirm themselves. And I think that's important. So your book, Walking Without Skin, A Journey of Healing, where can people get that? On Amazon at the moment. So That's good. Universal. <laughs> Delivered to your house. You don't have to worry about COVID. You can get it. And you also have a website at walkingwithoutskin.com so people can go and learn more about my guest, Lois Wagner, there. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for for having me and for sharing your insights. I think it's amazing. Thank you. So I've been talking with Lois Wagner. She has a big story to tell. She's moved from being in a situation where she was powerless with an attacker and a rapist, and she moved through all of that, through that terrible situation to become a survivor and moved on to being a thriver. And now she's stepped out in the world and is trying to put an end to the ideas of toxic masculinity and uh, gender-based things that we have no need to have in that particular context. So remember to go to visit her at walkingwithoutskin.com. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and you can find me at 4relationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com. My YouTube channel also has the same name for Relationship Help. I'm so glad you were my guest today, Lois, and I'm so glad you were here listening, everyone. And remember, be very good to yourself because you're precious and you matter. Take good care until we talk again. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon. Talk soon.